You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, we are back in the U.S. Actually, I was back last week from an amazing trip in Australia. I just want to give a few shout outs before we get started. Our uh, time in Brisbane was lovely. I want to give a special shout out to conference organizers, Paul and Pamela Signeri of Firestarters TV. Uh, we were also in Bendigo. I want to give a special shout out to the Way Community Church with leaders Todd and Britt Hunter. Amazing time with you guys. And I want to give a special shout out to Gateway Church and uh, Field of Dreams. Um, our friends and leaders, uh, Paul and Tracy Todd Hill at Gateway and uh, Todd and Rachel Weatherly at Field of Dreams, as well as Daryl and Belinda Crawford Marshall. Um, you guys are amazing. All of the other wonderful people that I'm not going to have the time to make mention of at the outset of this podcast, but you know, you are loved. I I am so excited about everything that God is doing in Australia. Um, now that we're back, we are continuing to build full steam ahead. So all I'm going to say here is, look, um, we have a bunch of classes coming up that you can sign up for as part of the Bride Ministries Church, and they're free. There are actually audits of our Bride Ministries Institute courses. Um, this is part of our effort to build community at Bride Ministries because we are a church, um, and we have this podcast and all kinds of other things that we are doing to help survivors and produce materials and teachings and trainings and equipping. But um, on our church page at bridemovement.com, you can actually sign up for our audit courses overseen by our moderators. And after you watch the um, class for each week, you will have live discussion with other people from around the world connected to Bride Ministries and um, really engage in some meaningful um, friendships and relationships with real people that you can meet in person at the Bride Tribe Advance, which is coming up May 14th through the 17th here in Texas. It's going to be amazing. We are going to be at this awesome, awesome resort area. Uh, and you can sign up at bridemovement.com. The registration cost is all inclusive, meaning your food, your room, and the conference itself. So uh, I want to I want to encourage you guys that are listening to this podcast, don't miss out. These are all proving to be extraordinary events. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's just so special for so many reasons. You know, it's not just the teaching and the, and the worship, but the community and the fellowship that happens. It's just irreplaceable. And so, um, with that said, my wife Christian is going to be doing another round of the Building Christian Businesses course at Bride Ministries. You can sign up for that on our website as well under the church page. It's also on the front page of our uh, website and. Um, that does have a, a, a associated fee, but it's more than worth it. The kind of uh, wisdom and nuggets she's going to be dropping. And if you are listening to this and you've had ideas for business, you've felt like you're a prophetic entrepreneur, whatever it happens to be, and you are.
are um, sitting at the starting gate, biting at the bit and saying, you know, what are my next steps? This is this is for you. And so I want to encourage you to get a hold of that. And if you haven't gotten our books, Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth and Advanced Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth, those remain available. Um, the number of testimonies coming back continue to just blow me away. I, I, I am so grateful to Jesus for all that he is doing in your lives. Um through what he's blessed us to put together. And so with that said, we're going to get right to the program. I have a very exciting guest this week. His name is Blake Healy. He's been on once before. Um, Many of you really appreciated the last time we got together. And so I am not going to delay any longer. Thank you for those of you that continue to support us financially. We love you. We appreciate you. And you are sowing into really good ground. Folks, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we're back on Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and I have with me Blake Healy. Now, he joined me last year, and we had talked about one of his books. Well, he wrote another one, and so he's back. Now, he is one of the senior team members at Bethel Church of Atlanta in Georgia. He's also the director of the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry, and he lives in Peachtree City his wife, April, and their now five wonderful children. <laughs> and of course, you can find him at BlakeKHealy.com. Welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. You know, last year, people enjoyed our time together, and um, I had a few requests to have you back, so it's good to have you back. And yeah. um, with the release of this new book, I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I just want to dive in, Blake, and, and begin with um, having you explain a, an encounter you share in the beginning of your book. It, it, it's about a church service you attended when you were 14 yeah. and some angelic and demonic activity you were looking at. And, and, and before you get there, folks, uh, Blake's new book is called Indestructible. I want to make sure I put that out there. So tell us what happened in this encounter. Yeah. So this one is in the book. I kind of describe a series of encounters. You know, this was early on when I was um, really, uh, it was kind of some of my early experiences with learning how to, um, how to understand the gift of seeing in the spirit and how to, how to use it. And so, a big part of that was I was really, uh, really based on the advice of some of the prophetic leaders at our church at the time. I was, I was trying to kind of just keep a log of the different things that I that I saw. And this particular day, I was I was doing just that. I was writing things down. I was um, I was kind of trying to take note of what was happening during worship. There was these you know angels that were dancing as worship was getting getting going. There was um, kind of like a lead worshiping angel that was that was standing in the middle of the stage and. Um, you know, I was writing down as, as much as I could. And, um, you know, as, as worship kind of you know, accelerated, there was just this, uh, angels were just kind of, you know, leaping throughout, through the air. And, um, uh, I think I, even the way I described in the book that at, especially towards the end, the presence of God was moving so rapidly in this kind of circular motion that it even made me think of like a washing machine, you know, type, 
type of thing. Now, beforehand, kind of as you had alluded to, I um, I saw you know a few, a few demons kind of moving around the the church auditorium, and that you know uh, the way I describe it is almost it's like they were looking for a spot or looking for a you know almost that kind of impression, like looking you know where uh, where can I where can I go or where can I can I land? Um, and so you know during this whole process, I'm you know watch, watching worship, kind of trying to take note, and you know one thing I talk about in particularly in this story is something that I do, especially or more so in my early days did struggle with of trying to figure out what there's so much going on in the spirit at any given time, you know, which parts are the most important, which part should we take note of, which part um, is, you know, where should we be focusing our energy and our attention? And so that was something that I was even struggling as in this time of, I literally can't write physically could not write down fast enough, all the different things that are, that are happening. And even now, you know, just for the purposes of being expedient in in our discussion of trying to decide which, which details to include and which ones, you know, not to, um, kind of the, an interesting kind of point though, or part of even what led to the creation of the book is what happened right afterwards, which was, I, um, I was, you know, 14 years old at the time. I, uh, the, at that time, our youth group would join the, uh, the main uh, auditorium for, for worship, and then we'd go to our own service uh, in a building that was kind of the, across one of the parking lots. And so I was a little bit late uh, getting across there because I was packing all my stuff up. And so I got over there, and I started walking, and I saw you know this group of uh, young people walking across to um, go to youth group. And I remember I just suddenly felt this kind of strange you know feeling, and I looked up, and I saw a, um, this... Uh, principality hanging out over over the the area now principality is like a uh a demonic entity that's trying to take authority over a particular region that's a Mm -hmm. very basic way to 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 put it um and it looked like this uh just this big uh dark bird you know i couldn't tell you whether it was a uh falcon or a hawk or, or what but just by the look of it i could tell that it was it was a predator and it was looking around like it was looking for what it wanted to to grab. And then I just felt the sense of dread as I saw it lock on to these two girls that were just a few yards in front of me. Um, and, and as it did, it kind of locked their eyes on them and just dove straight down towards them. And I could feel this, just this fear, such intense fear kind of rushing up me that I kind of felt paralyzed, like just this, you know, uh, fight, flight or freeze kind of thing where I, I just kind of, uh, found myself frozen. And this, as this thing came diving down, I realized it was much larger than I even expected. It was just this really big, I mean, it must've had, oh gosh, I, uh, you know, 40 or 50 foot wingspan. It's this huge, huge thing. Uh, hard to calculate as it was, you know, diving down real fast. Um, and it, um, it came rushing down as it did. I, I saw these, these flashes and images in my, in my mind of, um, of just the kind of destruction it wanted to cause. I saw just these pictures of these girls, you know, getting in fights with their parents, you know, disconnecting just all the, all the different kinds of uh, pain and struggles that can come in, in our teenagers. I just saw flashes of it come, come coming through. And, um, and so as I was, as I was seeing all that and uh, something, uh, a lot of things kind of happened right at once. This, this uh, big principality came diving down. The girls are just, you know, this is even part of the dread of these girls are just chit chatting, not even knowing that there's anything going on. Um, when all of a sudden in the middle of their conversation, one of the girls just kind of lets out this big, loud belly laugh. Um, 
and that was right at the at the moment where where this principality was kind of coming down uh right about to hit them so that out this big laugh there was this bright flash of light and the the principality ricocheted as if it had you know run into a thick steel wall and bounced and tumbled over past me just completely uh unable to get anywhere near um these these girls in fact even i turned and looked i saw it flying away and it looked at as if it was damaged like the way that it was moving the the wing the way its wings were beating was you know it looked like it had been hurt you know kind of kind of thing and I remember that really being one of the first moments in my life really where I sat there and thought like, okay, what is, what does spiritual warfare actually really truly look like? And what are the factors that create safety that create um, the, the manifestation of the kind of authority that we, we all, uh, uh, that is is promised in the word with regard to uh, authority in Christ. Um, what does all that actually look like? And so that was, that was one of the events that kind of led to me starting on this kind of journey of understanding what that looks like. That's fascinating. So, um, you know, some of your other books were obviously about the spirit realm and encounters and helping people to understand because you possess this incredible seer gift. And um, it, it really is extraordinary, folks. And so, you know, uh, this book, however, in, Indestructible, is more, I because I've read a good part of it already, and um it's about application. It's mm-hmm. about application, Try, trying to help people understand dynamics of how the spirit world interacts with their experiences and encounters in the natural and um, really trying to ground some of these things out. I, I, I found a lot of the anecdotes that you layer into your book uh, very, very helpful. And so, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about it, folks. And see, a lot of people that listen to this program are caught up in difficult circumstances. Everyone's asking the same question. Why doesn't my life look like, you know, a parade of victory here? I have Jesus, but yet I'm getting hammered, you know? And so we're all trying to really solve for the same problem here. And, you know, uh, your book has some very, very keen insights. I want to let you talk a little bit about this woman. Now you talk about a woman in your book that had... It was like a black entity hanging on her with frog skin. Um, you described this. You described some of the things that she was saying. Um, and I want to let you talk a little bit about that because um, I, f- I, f- I found that, as well as some of the other anecdotes, very, very uh, telling. Mm-hmm. Helping to explain some things. Yeah, right. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotes in the book. I'm trying to remember specifically which one you're referencing. Can you give me just a little bit more detail about um, she, you, you were having a conversation with her in a church and she had this, it was like a, it was like the size of a black cat you described mm-hmm. and it's hanging on her and uh, whatever it's doing seems to be going along with what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I the one that, that comes to mind very much with that one, you, you can, uh, correct me if this isn't the one you're looking for was, um, and I think this one is at least one of the, um, 
biggest keys with regard to how how we understand how we approach the the demonic and again if you're looking for another one you can tell me which one you were talking about but um i remember this particular one i was at a church service and this woman this particular woman had been dealing with a lot of fear and she um and even as she was you know for those of you who've read my books before you'll know that there was a period of my life where i uh, spent uh, experiencing a lot of demonic attack and oppression and a lot of fear that went along with that. And this, this particular woman, I, um, I remember even as I was talking, she was starting to almost go into a panic attack. There was just so much, so much, uh, fear, um, going on around her and the, um, you know, the, the, as she was talking again, she was even looked like she was afraid of the room that we were in and it was just escalating, escalating. And so I finally said, you know, Lord, tell me what this looks like and to show me what's going on. And immediately I, in this particular case, I saw a lampshade over her head and mm-hmm. I had to honestly uh, stifle a laugh at, at the absurdity of, of that compared to the level of, you know, genuine anxiety that she was, that she was showing. And, uh, and it was just this literally a lampshade with these kinds of um, just like light shadows on the lampshade, almost like a, like a children's, you know, nightlight kind of, kind of thing. I thought, Oh my goodness, what is this that it would cause so much fear? Um, and I said, Lord, what is she seeing? And the moment I said that an angel um, picked up the, the lampshade from off her head and set it on my head. And as soon as that happened, um, you know, again, from the outside in, the lampshade just looked like, again, like I said, a children's nightlight, you know, just kind of a silly small thing. Um, when from the inside out, the uh, every shadow looked like it was kind of creeping towards me. Like every every little person wow. looked a little bit altered. It, even like it was it was nighttime. And I remember even the window looked like there was like things clawing at the window. Like every, it, it just exaggerated and overemphasized all just these even mundane, normal little, little things inside this, this place that we were. And, you know, I just realized that that's, that's so what the enemy tries to do with regard to fear is to try to get us to see the world from his perspective to, to, you know, so much of what the enemy does is scary and dramatic. And when it comes down to it, that's because it needs to be, it, it, the, the enemy desperately needs you to believe in his ability to harm you because the truth is he doesn't have that authority. Jesus won all that authority. And, and so it, it's one thing I like to, uh, it's one story I like to bring up with regard to people who are experiencing fear or experiencing a lot of torment. It's it. And I, and I want to be careful with the way I, I address it because it can be, it, it can be a, uh, I guess a hard pill to swallow in the sense that it it can almost feel disappointing <laughs> that the fear or, or that kind of overwhelmed attacked feeling could really simply be a trick. It could really just simply be the enemy trying to get the lighting just right so that you see things a certain way, so that you are fearing things a certain way. But I think really in, some, in many ways, that's one of the biggest keys to learning how to get breakthrough with regard to this kind of torment and attack is recognizing even if it, even though it feels so real and feels so um, you can feel so, you know, tremendously powerless. The reality is, is it really is just a trick. It is, it is uh, as silly as that little lampshade that I saw. And so that's, that's one side I really like to share with regard to it. It's really interesting that you bring that up. You know, 
Uh, one of the things that I've noticed in real world living mm-hmm. is that perception is key. And mm-hmm. if you can manage your perception, what happens is um, you can really dictate what people perceive as reality. Perception management is everything. I mean, I can take a crook, absolute evil person, put him in a suit, put out a lot of good PR about him, and everyone will believe he's a good person. Totally. Um, they do this with politicians all the time. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and the truth is, uh, perception management is so key. And so it would only make sense that the enemy would make it part of his strategy to manage perception. Absolutely. And if he is successful at managing perception, he's going to put a magnifying glass everywhere he's working. So our perception is skewed. And uh, I do see this happen with people all the time, Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and a mountain is made out of a molehill. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the actual mountains are being completely neglected, but you know, uh, it's so, so interesting. And, and you have another story um, in your chapter on shame that I think is just so powerful. Can you take some time to tell us a little bit about shame? Yeah. Yeah. There's and and shame. Uh, I've made it in that particular section of the book where I start explaining just some of the tactics that then he has that, if I remember correctly, that I ended up putting that chapter right at the front, just because that that is one of just the most common tactics that I that I see the enemy try to use against folks, and and this this the story that I include in the book, I, I could probably have included thirty different stories, just because this is something I've unfortunately seen so so regularly. But mm-hmm. there's this um one one gentleman that I that I knew who um he had, he had a bit of a hard upbringing. He he. Uh, had struggled a lot with um, uh, drug abuse throughout his, his teen years. And he um, kind of, he had slowly, he, he was getting to an age, you know, where, where even all of it, a lot of his friends that would kind of reinforce that, that kind of behavior were started either, you know, kind of crashing their lives or, or getting, getting clean. And he, he started to get clean. Um, but uh, the one thing he would really struggled to, uh, to, to get past was, was, uh, the abuse of alcohol. And so he had, he had stopped using drugs and all that, but just, uh, he would be doing fine, you know, for, for weeks or even maybe a month or two at a time. Um, but then he would just go into a real dark place and, you know, drink really, really heavily and, and scarily, you know, um, and, he had uh, just spent a, a short stint in uh, in jail, actually, for being for you know, driving under the, under the influence, and um, and he had just gotten out. And I remember I saw him one day, and I was just you know greeting him, saying saying hi. And as I was as I was talking to him, I just saw this this demon hanging out next to him, and it had this this bucket and of this kind of like oily tar kind of substance, it was, you know, this black stuff, and he. Uh, as I was talking, you know, he, the demon kept dumping this, this bucket over, over his head. And then every, t- you know, I'd be kind of asking how I was going. And, and every time he would say something, you know, the kind of things we hear people say all the time of like, Oh, I guess I'll learn eventually. Or, you know, just th- things like that, that are, that are, you know, maybe come from a repentant heart, but are also laced with this, with this shame thing. And every time I just saw this bucket of shame, 
until again he was just just covered head to toe in this this thick black you know tar like oil and I, I even told him like you know stop like <laughs> uh, don't talk about yourself that way you know um, and he's like oh you know whatever you know I'm trying not to and and I you know saw him a few weeks uh, later a little time later and I saw the same demon hanging out around him and I, it had put its bucket away and it was kind of scratching at him and it was scratching at all these wounds that I was seeing on him. And you know, these kinds of wounds represent, uh, the, the, the big and the small hurts of, of life, everything, anything from as small and simple as, you know, someone being impolite to you, uh, and while you know, walking down the hallway to, you know, big pains from our past or, and everywhere in between. And so, uh, this, demon was coming by and kind of scratching open those those wounds and just kind of bringing up those hurts and as as one hand was doing that the the other hand was uh caressing his face which you know is disgusting obviously and then that caressing hand just reached behind its back and produced this brown bottle and just kind of gently shook it in in front of his face and uh, I, next time I saw my friend, he was, uh, actually showed up to church drunk and, um, he, and the second I saw him and he saw me just immediately that same demon pulled out this bucket and just dumped the shame on his, on his head. And, you know, we, we, we've, I'm sure we've all in some respect gone through this kind of cycle, but it, it, to me in a, in a healthy way, I, 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 that, that story can kind of make us mad. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, the the very same demon that is heaping shame is the same one that's bringing that temptation that hey use this to to fix your feelings use this to 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 numb these wounds you're, you're feeling and that exact same demon is accusing and making you feel ashamed you know for doing that and I I think again I think there's a healthy anger that that comes with that because we recognize that the the enemy doesn't really care what, whether, what, what you do, as long as it's not godly. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, some, some people have been, I've met some folks who have, you know, gone, been into witchcraft or things like that. And they maybe have this delusion of like, ah, oh, the, the enemy, the devil's going to make me powerful or something like or, or that, that kind of delusion is like, the, the devil doesn't care what you are, or what you're doing, as long as it's not Jesus, as long as it's not, uh, you know, being connected with God. And so if, if shame is going to work for you, boom, he's going to throw that at you. If, if tempting you into uh, self-destructive stuff because of that shame is going to work, he'll just throw whatever at you. And so I think it, it's a tragic cycle, but it's, it's good to recognize that it's, it's that, that feeling of shame when it comes oftentimes that's the exact same thing that was, that was uh, pushing that temptation probably, you know, just a little bit of time ago. So, yeah. And the way you describe it, there's a fundamental agreement. You know, um, you can tell someone uh, you should repent of shame. But if there's no heart change mm-hmm. and they say the words, but they don't mean it and they're committed to a certain lifestyle or an approach then that influence, well, at least in my experience, will keep coming back. Sure. Over over. It, it just, uh, it, it's, it's just so insightful um, to have it spelled out 
and and have some of these things described. Uh, and with that, uh, you had another interesting chapter. You you called it mazes. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a little bit of time to kind of um, introduce us to that concept. Yes, yeah, this is another one that I've seen several times um, around people. I, I used a personal story in this in this example, if I remember correctly. And it um, this this was I'll just be brief with this part because it's not really the, the focus of the story. But I was going through a hard time. I had some some friends that were in a big big di- disagreement, and um, they were both friends of mine. And so I was at first mainly, you know. Just uh, feeling sad for for them, doing my best to you know love love them through it and everything. And then, uh, but this particular day, I had I had just heard that that one group, one person in that party had been uh, talking negatively about me, but behind my back, kind of wrapped up in this whole situation. You know, that's just the basics of it. And I was I was laying there in my bed. It was late at night, um, and just going back and forth. And again, I know so many of us have been in this moment of being, being super angry, you know, and hurt and, and all of that to, um, to, Oh, uh, maybe I misunderstood or maybe, maybe there's, there's more to it or maybe I didn't get, you know, the the full picture or to back to super upset, you know, thinking, okay, I need to go confront, I need to go talk to this person about that. And, you know, going it over in your head 20 times, some versions of me being very cordial and polite and then some versions of me being very upset. I'm just unable to um, get, uh, I'm just feeling knocked around by this, this process that I'm, that I'm going through. And, um, you know, all of, all, all of a sudden I just, you know, I said, Lord, what's, what's going on, you know? And, I suddenly saw above my, my bed, this, um, demon and it had next to it, this big board that almost looked like something out of like a dilapidated game show. And it was even had like these little light bulbs around the the edges and it was made of this old wood. It was just this big board with all these roughly cut pieces of wood that were set into it to create a maze. And I saw this little uh, cartoon heart just running through this maze this way and that way and then doubling back and, and, and all of this. And I'm like, you know, the demons just kind of cackling and laughing. And I, you know, I said, Lord, what's, what's going on here? And I, um, I heard the Holy Spirit say, where, where are the exits? And I looked and I, it took a while because the maze was very convoluted. I realized like there was, there was no exit. It was just a maze that just went endlessly in, in mm. different directions and shapes and areas and, and places. And I, I, in that moment realized like, Oh, I'm being, I'm being baited into a, a, a way of processing that doesn't actually have a conclusion. It doesn't actually have an end point. It doesn't have a, a goal. You know, it's just literally meant to tire me out, to wear me out, to, to frustrate. And I, I just kind of, you know, paused and waited and almost really just like refused to engage with thinking about it for, for a bit. And slowly this thing just started, you know, rattling and and it broke apart, you know, just there in God's presence. Um, and, you know, uh, since, since then, one thing I like to, to bring up one, this kind of thing inside myself that I've done is, you know, we all have moments where, where we get hurt about something or, or, or someone does something that's just genuinely un- unkind or, or, or whatever else. And, 
in those moments, one thing I've, I've noticed is like, ah, I, I do need to process this. I don't want to just, just, you know, stuff this under the rug. I don't want to um, just try to push this feeling away because obviously that's not healthy. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to engage in this process until I feel the holy presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait. I'm going to, knowing that I need to work on it, again, not, not stuffing it down, but I'm going to sit here and wait until I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit come. And there have been many nights since then that I'll just sit there and I'm like, okay, I can feel that anxiety coming to me. I can feel that, that like, oh, why did I do that? All, all those questions that don't have answers, you know, coming into my head over and over. And I found that when I just wait and just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I refuse to engage with this thought process until I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit that inevitably, honestly, not b- b- before too terribly long, I, I feel his presence come. And then I feel like, oh, I feel ready. Okay, I can, I can start thinking about this. Man, that is so fascinating. And I'm so glad you shared that, right? Because I mean, this is everyone. Like we're all facing uncertainties in life Mm -hmm. and a lot of energy. I mean, crazy, crazy amounts of energy gets extended towards um, ineffective problem solving. Yes. That is trying to solve problems with an incomplete data set that cannot be solved from your bed at night while you're trying to fall asleep. (laughs) It's just just not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yet we, I mean, people stay awake hours, and when you think about it, that is what it feels like—just okay. a maze, no exit, no way to solve it. Just round and round we go. Mm-hmm. So fascinating that that's what it looks like in the spirit too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. You know, I, I I think that a lot of this is helpful. You know, in our ministry, we spend a lot of time solving really complex stuff so much so that sometimes you know what happens is that there's an overemphasis on the extraordinary problems um and an underemphasis on the day-to-day stuff that really is everyone and stress anxiety uh shame i mean these things are so so important and and you know one of the things that you also talk about in your book, and I'll just call this brotherly love, harmony, um, living in right relationship. People don't realize that this is actually a very important aspect of spiritual warfare. And, and, and I'm going to let you talk about this, but this is honestly my revelation. Mm. Um, if I come in with a bad attitude or reverse it, my wife comes in with a bad attitude and we decide to engage in conflict, Right. Um, I could go in the other room, yell at demons for 30 minutes, come out and keep yelling at my wife or vice versa, (laughs) go in the room, yell at demons for 30 minutes, come back, keep yelling at me. And there's still going to be a negative spiritual atmosphere in the home. Totally. And, you know, I I, I could say every kind of prayer, use my prayer books, whip them out, you know, but why Blake is this the case? (laughs) Well, my simplest, uh, well, one of one of my best examples of this came from something you know much more uh, mundane, but it's it's so powerfully true with regard to how we view the spirit realm. 
um, I'll, I'll just tell an abbreviated version of this story. But I, I had a situation just in my house, with my family, where I, I had set up this small little plastic children's pool um, out out front for the kids to play in. You know, it was one summer in Georgia, and you run inside. You know, I just leave it there for a little while, and you know, go back in. I wake up the next morning, I'm like, oh, I never did turn over that that water. You know, I shouldn't leave that. You know, I shouldn't leave that out, but got busy one day led to two days and so on and so forth. And, you know, I won't say how uh, embarrassingly long that water uh, sat, sat there, but, um, you know, one day I got up and I looked out the window and I saw that little, little pool there and it was full of uh, brown water. And I, I walked out and just a little bit of algae or, or whatever it was had, had grown around the sides and there were just hundreds of little twitching uh, mosquito larvae in, in the water. And I was so, you know, annoyed at myself at, at, you know, the situation. I don't, I don't think anyone likes mosquitoes, but I definitely dislike having mosquitoes around. And so I thought I just need to fix this. And so I I walked back in the house. Um, this probably isn't the best thing to do, but this is what I did. I walked back into the house, went to the laundry room, got a bottle of bleach. I opened it up, dumped it in the pool and I watched and every mosquito larva stopped moving. Like they was just instantly killed all of them. Now, after my, my righteous zeal uh, died out, I realized that, oh, what am I going to do with this now? Am I going to dump this on my grass? You know, this is what I didn't, I didn't really think this through. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll take care of this later. I, I let my wife know what I did so that the kids wouldn't, wouldn't touch it and you know, went to work. And yet again, uh, one day led to two, led to, led to three. And after some time, I looked out my window. Uh, I had looked at the looked at it later, and uh, you know the the bleach had even killed all the algae. It had you know all, all been gone. But after some time and some days, I looked out, and the water was brown again. And I walked out there, and it was full of mosquito larvae again. And I looked it up real quick and I realized that, oh, all the, after not very long, all of the chemicals, all of the bleach chemicals had evaporated out of that water, making it perfectly hospitable for, for the mosquito larvae again. And this is such an excellent picture of how the demonic works because we tend to, oftentimes out of ignorance, sometimes we think like, oh, okay, you know, this demons are just going to try to get me, you know, they're just going to jump out of the bushes or, or. Or, um, or we can even ask ourselves questions like, uh, if I watch this movie or if I, you know, get angry or if I say this, then, then that opens the door. Um, while some of those things may be true, the, the real, um, the, the best way to understand this is, you know, is, is this example right here, which is, you know, I, uh, and even you know the Bible, like the Bible tells us, we have we have authority over the demonic. So why can't we just pray and it just go away? Um, well, the answer is it does. And just like in this example, I had all the power and authority that I needed to instantly kill every single mosquito larva in there, the, the bleach. Um, however, I did not. I didn't do anything to change the environment that had allowed them to be there. And because I didn't do that, after I left, all of that, uh, all those chemicals evaporated out and that environment just returned to its natural state, which is being very suitable for mosquitoes. And the same is so true of, of the, the demonic. You know, the, the demonic, in my experience, almost 99% of the time, they are a symptom of the problem, not the actual problem. They are the, the, the mosquitoes that are attracted to still water. They are the flies that are attracted to an open wound. It's, 
it's a, um, it's usually things that are more fundamental and behavioral. And that's why uh, in the book I emphasize about, you know, building a relationship with God, building a healthy community around yourself, because those are the things that make your environment uh, inhospitable for the enemy. And even within the context of a marriage of I can pray and the demonic aspect can go away. But if there is a, you know, I'm not gonna make any presumptions about, about, you know, your marriage, but even in my own of, of moments of like, of, Oh, if, if there is a culture where being disrespectful is okay, where, where, um, where not listening even is, is okay. That's a culture that makes room for the enemy to, to attack. And so even in the simple mundane things of the kind of culture of listening that I create between my wife and I Mm. can be something that is either hospitable for the enemy or inhospitable for the enemy. And so as, as simple as it is, I think it's, it's incredible the power it it has because it, it, again, it's all about what kind of environment we're creating. And that's, that's everything. Um, I've seen this work in communities of poverty where poverty is just held up as, as, as almost um, a commandment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just given absolute authority over a family. It's like, well, you know, these people they have, and we don't, that's just the way it is. And that, you know, environment tearing people down. I mean, I've been around communities like that, you know, uh, they used to call it uh, grilling. Basically, mm-hmm. the, the the whole game is to just uh, make fun of everyone else until someone wins. Mm-hmm. And that's culture. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this stuff, man, oh, man. So um, talk to us a little bit about uh, um, about finding healthy community. Yeah. So the, the one thing I will say, um, and I, I'll, I'll share one story that, that is honestly the most powerful, that one of the most powerful that I've seen. Um, but I, I will kind of start with this, which is, I think this is really important because I, I hear this one a lot, especially in being involved with, with church. Um, you know, and I, I've heard it with regards to, to, you know, the church where, where, where I'm a leader and, uh, many others. And I've, I've heard this my whole life of, you know, uh, of like, Oh, I'm just looking to find community. You know, I'm looking to, uh, you know, Oh, why did, why did you stop going to church X? Oh, I just didn't find community there. And, um, one thing I, I just, uh, just feel so strongly about is that community is, is not something that we find. Community is something that we build. It's something that we make. It's something that we create on, on purpose. And, uh, it's something that, that, you know, to, to be fair that, yeah, what, what kind of environment I am, what kind of people I'm around, what kind of culture I'm, I'm in is certainly, uh, affects, um, how easy it is to, to create community, but it's, um, you know, we go back to the Bible and King, uh, King David on the run from, from Saul, uh, and, uh, hiding out in caves and him building a community of, of mighty men who are around him, who is connected to it. So it's, it's true. It's harder in certain situations and in certain seasons, but it doesn't change how just essentially important it is for us. And one of my favorite stories in the, in the whole book, uh, and really honestly that I've been, been able to be a participant in, 
uh, participant in was with a friend of mine who was going through a really hard time. He, um, he came to my wife and I one night and just said, Hey, you know, my, uh, my wife is, uh, wanting to get a divorce. And, um, you know, and I, because of the nature of where the focus is of this story, I, I don't have time to get into the, the reality that there's lots of nuances when it, with all these kinds of situations. And so I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to, uh, you know, blame one way or blame the other because it's, these things are always complicated. But, uh, in this particular case to oversimplify, you know, he really wanted to keep working on it and she was, um, again, wanting a divorce. Um, and so he's like, you know, it's, I, I, you know, she hasn't fully decided yet, uh, but we're, it's, you know, really where her heart is right now. And so, um, and so he said, you know, as I'm going through this process, <clears throat> as I'm going through this process, I'm, I just really want to pull my community close. I'm, I'm asking the two of you, my, you know, meaning my wife and I, to to just meet with you regularly for you to speak into my life, to give me feedback if I if I need it. Um, and he listed a couple, a few other couples that he was pulling on, and a few of his single friends. And said, "I'm just, you know, wanting to pull close to the Lord and pull close to my community." And you know, this whole time he's talking, I see this demon standing behind him with his black hood and holding a knife in its hands. And I can just feel the uh, evil intent of this, of this thing. Um, well, some time went by and he, um, he came back to me again. And this time I saw a, a handful of other demons following him around in addition to the one with the, the black hood. And he came to us and said, um, yeah, my, my, she wants to make the divorce final and uh, she wants to do it next week. He said, well, there's still maybe a, maybe a chance that she changes her mind. But I just wanted to let you guys know. And, you know, in the midst of this, um, the, the, uh, I saw this demon with the hood try to s- stick this knife towards, towards my friend. And it, I, it, and it was so aggressive that I even kind of cringed, you know. Um, but the knife stopped a few inches away from him like he got stuck in something and it pulled away and jabbed it again and it got stuck and again and again. And then this other demon over here, you know, jumped at him and I could feel it trying to release this, like this bitterness, this uh, uh, hatred towards his wife and blaming her for everything. And why did she, you know, I even, I could feel that thing trying to do that. And then this other demon jumped at my friend and it was again releasing this uh, depression, this darkness, this oh, this is a failure. This my life is over. You know that kind of depression. But none of it got through to him at all. Wow. And you know, I asked him how he was. And I'm saying, you know, hey, how are you? How are you doing? And he said, I'm super sad, and I'm I'm super hurting. But I, you know, I feel close to my community, and I feel close to God, and. So some time went on, the, the divorce happened and it went through and I watched as bit by bit, these demons kept trying to attack him and every time they could not touch him and slowly one by one, they all just left and I was meeting him with him. Uh, I guess it must've been almost a whole year after, after it had happened and just asked him how he was doing. He said, you know, I'm, I'm sad about what happened, but I, I've never felt this close to God in my entire life. I've never felt this close to my, to my, to my friends in my entire life. And even though that was, that was heartbreaking. And I, and even though I wish that's not how it happened, I, 
you know, I'm actually doing better than I ever have in my entire life. And as he did that, I, I watched as this demon, you know, with both hands lifted that knife over its head and drove it down towards my friend. But again, it just glanced off something and stumbled over. And the, you know, that in that moment, I could feel all of the, the, the evil that the, that demon wanted to release into my friend. I, I saw snapshot of it ruining his life, of it ruining his ex-wife's life, of it ruining their future children's lives, of it spreading out and ruining relationships and friendships. And it, it just all of the darkness that it wanted to press into this painful situation. And honestly, when I think about it, 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 it brings up so much emotion because of all of the evil that was not able to enter the world because of the way that my friend chose to live his life, that it, it, that this thing could literally not touch him. And that in the middle of a, what, what is probably one of the biggest trials of his, of his whole life, he actually grew in the Lord and grew in, in his, you know, I, I, I didn't include all this in the book, but he, he grew in his physical health. He, he grew in his um, financial and business health. He grew in his spiritual health. This guy, was literally thriving in the midst of a of a of the hardest season of his life and that's not to say it wasn't painful that's not to say it wasn't difficult that wasn't to say that there was not a whole lot to work through but he but he worked through it with his family with his community with his um friends and there's just such especially after seeing so many circumstances where I do see that kind of evil get driven into painful circumstances. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's literally felt like a miracle to see so much darkness just not get to enter the world because of that, because my friend knew how to pull his community close. Yeah. That's so good. So, so good. You know, um, a lot of people struggle with community, Blake, a lot of people. And sometimes what I found is that it can be our own disposition that actually depossesses us or dispossesses us of, of genuine connection to community. You know, I I watch people try to engage in community with massive self-protection at work. Right. Right. So that everyone is a potential threat. There's a great deal of paranoia. And everyone has to prove themselves through some kind of created chaos if they are to be let in, which usually just drives people away and reinforces <laughs> um, the worst fears. Uh, I, I have seen um, also, you know, some things where people uh, overshare sure. and think community is entirely about their need set. And eventually people don't respond so well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, community, finding community is a two-way street. What's some advice that you have for people looking for that? Yeah, you know, it's um, – my first piece of advice is unfortunately not an easy piece. It's 
You know, if, if you're going to be a, a doctor, you go to school for a long time. You do a lot of training. You learn a lot, a lot, a lot. If any, any kind of trade, you know, doctor's obviously a, you know, a, a big complicated one. But if you're going to be a, a welder, if you're going to be uh, an auto mechanic, you study your trade. You know, um, relationships are a huge part of our life. I mean, it's at least half. It's probably more than that. You know, if, if we think that we're just going to kind of just wing that, then what we're doing really is, is uh, committing ourselves to just repeating the patterns that we've seen. And, and even even when we've had good patterns, maybe you grew up in a really, really loving family and had a really, um, uh, really close friends and things like that. Even then, even when you have all that, maybe you have a really good start, you're still committing yourself to not even really knowing how to build community and build the relationships. You just have kind of lucked into it. And so, you know, the way that I, I say this about marriage and I say this about community is, I, I would recommend become an expert. You know, there, there's great, uh, you know, there's great teachers like Gary Townsend and Danny Silk who have, you know, amazing material on, you know, building healthy relationships, building strong connections with people. I've, you know, I've, I've read a lot of their books multiple times. And just because, especially when I run into something that I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Or, or yeah, this is totally, I've seen this blow up in my life before. Okay, I'm going to work on it. I, I need the skills and the experience and the practice to be good at this. Because it's, in, in a right way, it's not as simple as just a, a prayer, although certainly we should ask for God's help. This is, um, this is us learning how to steward the, the people he's put around us, you know. And so it's not an easy, you know, snap of the finger kind of answer. But I, for me at least, putting the kind of training and intensity into it that I would if I were becoming, if this was my profession, is, is for me, there, I just don't know that you could possibly waste your time learning how to do relationships well. Like it, it is so, such a huge part of our life. And, you know, to be blunt too, even with people that uh, might be resistant to it, you know, I, I think that one of the reasons that God wrote the, the creation story the way he did, where God created the, all the animals, he created Adam, and oh no, what an, what an oversight, God, there's no suitable partner to be found for, for Adam. You know, I don't think that was an oversight, I don't think that was a mistake. I think that God wanted to draw a picture of his fundamental design for humanity from the very beginning that it's not good that man should be alone. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that is indicating just a, a, a from the spousal point of view, but I, I think that is people are designed for relationships, you know, I mean, not to be the dead horse, but even, you know, Jesus had friends. The, the son of God on the earth had friends. He had layers of friendships. He had his 12 disciples. He had Peter, James, and John, who he was closest with. And he had, uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he had John, who was his closest, closest friend. It, you know, and the way I look at it, if, if Jesus needs friends, then we, we probably need friends too. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to borrow from my wife here. She has some really keen insight into, you know, Adam. And one of the things she, the Lord showed her was that God gave Adam a competency test. 
mm. for trusting Eve to his stewardship. And uh, based on what you're saying, you know, sometimes uh, there, there is a competency test <laughs> that's mm-hmm. going to predate, you know, healthy community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a place for us to learn, to show ourselves approved. And uh, that, that's deep. That's deep, deep, deep. Now, you also write about the importance of having fun in the Christian yes. life. Yes, yes. All right, man. Uh, this is so good. Now, I have a lot of fun. I think sometimes people, they, they hear this podcast and some of the subjects we cover and get into it. And man, it gets, it gets heavy. So people think I'm heavy sure. until they meet me. And then they realize I'm literally goofy, out of the box, weird, but not that weird, normal. And so, you know, but there is a balance. And okay, talk to us about it. What's the importance of having fun? Totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll share one story. I'll share a very abbreviated version of it. But I, I had a student who came through our school of ministry who, um, you know, I'm going to be, be very uh, short for this this one, but just um, just super overcommitted. He had uh, big projects going on with his job. He was trying to start another side business. He uh, was taking on extra projects in, school, in, our, in our school of ministry. And just really super overcommitted, you know, and it was showing, he was showing up a bit late, late for class, which is not, was not normally his personality and um, super overwhelmed. And I, and I saw this um, demon on the back of his neck that looked kind of like a leech, you know, just kind of sitting at the back of his head. And it was like, it was just kind of uh, leeching off of him. And so uh, again, to, to make the long story short, we, you know, I saw him week after week and he was getting, you know, his job was hiring new employees on and asking him to train them and just even more stuff was piling up. And, you know, I, I was asking him if he's doing okay. And he's saying, Oh yeah, it's just a season, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting, you know, as soon as we get it all sorted out, we'll be, we'll be fine. You know? And, um, you know, eventually that demon on the back of his neck swelled and swelled and swelled until it was hanging all the way down to his kind of his lower back. And, um, and that was fine. And I was like, okay, I need to, <laughs> why don't you sit down and I'll have a conversation with you about this. Um, and, you know, I started talking about it and it had started affecting his family and started affecting, you know, being able to make it to his kids' soccer games to, uh, that it was lowering his, uh, you know, his standards for excellence in his work and, and things like that. And, and I just sat there and I flat out asked, you know, he, he, he was, you know, again, showing up late for class and things. And so, when we sat down, he probably thought I was going to give him a hard time for, for being late. But when I sat him down, the first thing that I said was, you know, what do you do for rest? And um, he's like, ah, as I sleep, <laughs> you know, maybe me and my wife will sit and watch a movie sometimes. He's, you know, okay, what do you do for fun? He said, um, work, <laughs> uh, you know, didn't really have anything. And what, what I explained to him is something I, is really one of the foundations of this, this whole concept, um, which is, you know, uh, the, the fruit of the spirit is a fruit. It's not a gift. It's not, um, a, a, a thing that just happens. It's, it's something you grow. It's something that is the, the fruit of the manifestation of life, life in God. And, Fun, rest is not just you know crashing at the at the end of the end of the night or end of the week. It's not just sitting there in front of the TV. Um, 
you know, there's a difference between being engaged with something that you're watching versus I'm just so tired. I can't do anything else. You know, um, rest is a pace that we live our life by a, a pace that protects the fruit of the spirit of peace. And it is a standard, you know, it's a standard that says if, okay, if the way I'm living my life is, is harming, is making this fruit of the spirit of peace, not grow as healthily, that means I need to change my pace. Um, in the same way, you know, doing, do having fun, doing things that we enjoy just for the sake of doing them. Um, <laughs> it protects the fruit of the spirit of joy, which is not just the C tier fruit of the spirit or just this, this other thing, or just a giddy feeling we get in the presence of God. It is a lifestyle of, I live out of enjoyment that I can enjoy the Lord, that I can do things that may not have any other purpose other than enjoying them, but it's protecting the fruit of the spirit of joy. And obviously it's doing that is worship unto God. And, um, and it's, these are not, you know, suggestions. These are, these are what life in the spirit looks like. And so, you know, my friend just made some simple adjustments. He, he, you know, had some boundaries with his work of, Hey, I can't train all three of these new guys. I can train one. Okay. Hey, this stuff with my side business, I'm going to put it on hold until these other pieces, you know, are, are done. Um, you know, I am going to lower some of my commitments at school to back to kind of normal, you know, expectations. And, you know, the funny thing was, is he got, uh, when he, he was, that was when he was in his second year of school. And when he graduated after uh, his third year, he, he actually had accomplished all of the things that he had wanted to. He, and it, it, you know, in my suspicion, I, I think that he probably actually got them done more quickly than he would have if he had continued his frantic pace, because I think it would have exhausted him so much that he would have either crashed or been moving so slowly that he would actually get it done less quickly. And so, you know, I, um, I can't overemphasize how, how thinking that fun is an unimportant thing or that rest is an unimportant thing is again, like, like we talked about earlier, is harming that environment that that environment that allow is either hospitable to the enemy or inhospitable to the enemy. And the truth is, is where when we don't have things that we do that bring us joy, um, it, it makes way more room for the enemy and his and his lies. And um, and more importantly, it, it makes it makes it hard to live out of truly live out of the fruit of the spirit of joy. So so good. Um. I know we have limited time. Folks, uh, I've been talking with Blake Healy, um, and I know you want more. There's so much more to say, uh, but I guess you're just going to have to get his book because <laughs> we're out of time. Um, now, Blake, uh, your book is called Indestructible. Your website, blakekhealy.com. Is there anything else you'd like to have our listening audience know before we let you go. Now, the one last thing is, you know, I am, um, if uh, I, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm the director of the Bethel Atlanta school of supernatural ministry. And so if, if you've ever wanted to commit a, a season of your life to, to uh, growing your relationship with God, rocketing towards your, your destiny in him, just both, maybe even discovering and uh, rocketing towards your destiny in him. Um, I'd love uh, to have you visit us at, at Bethel Atlanta school.com just to get more information about that. I, I'm a 
along with all of this stuff, you know, we can, we can do this in a lot of different forms, whether it's, you know, in church groups or, or just their own personal growth. But I am, um, it's the reason I've been part of the, the school out here for 10 years is I'm, I'm just so incredibly blessed by what happens when a group of people get together who have, who have committed a season to pursuing more of what God has. And it's just incredible what God does with with that, that kind of season in someone's life. So if that's if that's a position you find yourself in, I would, I would great be gladly invite anyone to come join us or visit to learn more about that. Fantastic, Blake. It has been a pleasure again having you on the program. Thank you for all of your anecdotes, explanations, and wisdom. Folks, that's it for this week. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and God speak. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.